name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. My dear faithful, each one of us has a particular area in which we are particularly skilled, some area in which we are the experts. And in that area, um, whether it concerns the performance of a given task or whether it concerns the possession of a certain particular knowledge, in that area, we're full of confidence. We feel like we don't need any help, that we can bring about some sort of result um, all by ourselves, that we don't need to call in extra resources. And because of our particular self-reliance in those areas, our particular confidence in those areas, those are often the situations in which we don't feel like we need God. We are apt to lose sight of God in those situations. Anytime we feel that surge of complete self-reliance, chances are we're going to be forgetting that we do live in a state of dependence just by the fact that we are creatures. We may, in some cases, be so engrossed in our expert work that we do not realize that anything else exists. We just to, to lose sight of, of all other things. Or we may be so confident in our success that we believe that nothing in the world can keep us from attaining our particular goal. Nothing is going to stop me from doing what I want to do. And of, of course, this is a complete and total illusion. The reality is that our ability to do anything at all in this life, anything, hangs by a very, very delicate thread that may be snapped at any time. We can easily be struck down by sickness, such that we're bedridden, hardly, hardly able to move. We can suddenly lose our job. We can have a, a bushfire rock up suddenly and destroy all of our goods, just like that. And then all of our expectations about our own strength are completely and utterly shattered. Often it's, it's a tragedy or some sort of special suffering that force us to see how fragile our lives and our goals are. And in those times, as I say, we can no longer maintain illusions about our own strength and our own self-reliance. We're forced to see that really there are an infinite number of conditions that have to be in place for me to be able to do absolutely anything in this life. We start to realize how small we are, how dependent we are on all these different factors for us to have peace, happiness, and success in this life. Now, as terrible as, as tragedies or particular difficulties we might have in life, as terrible as, as they are, they are often an occasion for two things happening that are quite beneficial. That is, if, if we are humble and if we, we go through these, these difficult situations in the right spirit, Two things can happen. One thing is that we very quickly lose our taste for the things of this world. The things of this world become bitter in our mouths. And we realize how empty they are, how ephemeral the things of this, of this world are, how vain it is for us to chase after them and to place our whole heart in them. We realize that we've been chasing the wind and that this is foolish. Why would I want to invest my heart in a wisp of wind? As soon as I, I grab out to the wind, it just slips through my fingers. As soon as I think that I, I, I have it, it's gone. 
We may reach out for the wind several times in our life until we finally realize the wind is just not worth it. These worldly things are just too ephemeral for me to place my heart in them. It's too insubstantial for me to grab onto. It's too little a thing for it to be able to sustain me and make me happy. So why are I, am I investing so much of my emotional resources into that thing? It doesn't make sense. And then secondly, besides the fact that we lose the, the taste for the things of this world, we also um, tend to look for something more firm and stable on which we can place all of our hopes. Something that can guarantee us that no matter how much bad luck we may have in this life, because let's face it, bad luck can happen. These unforeseen circumstances which prevent us from attaining our goals can happen to every single one of us. So no matter, I, I need something no matter how much bad luck I may have, no matter how many disappointments, everything will turn out right in the end. Something to guarantee me that things will turn out right in the end when it's all said and done. And of course, it's only God who can be such a guarantee. Only someone who is in control of reality, who has dominion over reality, can give us such a decree, degree. Um, and that's why the trials in our lives can help us either start leaning on God in the first place, maybe I should start leaning on God, or lean on him more than we have in the past. Think about the apostles in the, in the scene of, of today's gospel, this uh, very beautiful story of one of their first encounters with our Lord Jesus Christ. Think about this scene. They're, they're practicing Jews. They know about God. Okay, they're religious men. But at the same time, they're, they're only beginning their spiritual life. They aren't uh, very deeply spiritual. They're not living a life wherein they refer everything to God. Our Lord comes into their lives and they start to follow him. They're entranced by his personality. They find his teaching very interesting, but they need more than that. Our Lord needs to teach them some special lessons. He needs them to give them experience with the spiritual life. Um, he needs to teach them things that cannot be learned by words. And so our Lord sets up this situation of today's gospel. He takes the very action, the very activity in which they are so confident, in which they're experts. He takes the activity of fishing, and he shows them how much their self-reliance is overrated. He's standing in their own boat. They have used it so many times to fish. They're on the lake of Gennesaret, which is not that huge. And surely the apostles have been up and down the Lake of Genesis. They know every single nook and cranny of the Lake of Genesis. Um, and they've had a bad night. It seems like the best time for getting fish on the Lake of Genesis was, was the nighttime. Because we even find the apostles fishing at nighttime after the resurrection. Um, there's another ep fishing episode in the Gospels, and it's after the resurrection, and it's also during the night. And they're done. We see that they're finished with their fishing because they're washing their nets. They've given up. It's daytime. It's not the time to fish. They're not going to catch any fish. Um, they, they're just no reasonable expectation they're going to have any success. So what chance was there? Practically none. And then our Lord issues this command to St. Peter. And we know something that St. Peter, Peter doesn't know at the time. We know 
that our Lord is, is both God and man, that, that he's both eternal and temporal. He's foreseen this episode from all time. He has planned it for St. Peter's instruction and for the instruction of the rest of the apostles. He's, he's going to teach them through this, a lesson that he could not teach them by words. He's going to teach them about their dependence on God. Um, the apostles don't realize that everything depends upon God, even though they're practicing Jews, that, that they are nothing without God. They don't realize that they're not even fishermen without God. Peter thinks he knows fishing, and he does know fishing. But he doesn't know how much he relies upon God in his fishing. He's been under an illusion. He's sure that they are not going to catch any fish. Perhaps he thinks as well that, well, this new teacher, this new rabbi, has probably done, not done a lot of fishing. That's why he's asked me to cast the net. He doesn't really know much about fishing um, like I do. Uh, you know how rabbis are. They just spend their whole time reading and teaching. He doesn't know anything about fishing. That's why he's asking me to cast this net. Um, but he wants to humor our Lord. He wants to show that, oh, he can be a good disciple. So he'll just let down the net to please his new teacher. And then the impossible happens. This, this astonishing catch. And St. Peter is absolutely shocked. His, his eyes are open at that moment. He realizes that he's been far too overconfident, far too self-reliant, that... He's been under a certain deception. Up to this point, he thought that the catching of the fish relied completely and entirely upon his own planning and his own hard work. When in fact, he's now realizing it also depended upon God and that he's been at fault. He sinned against God by not giving God the honor and the respect due to him, by pretending that he had no need of God in the things that he does. And... Be, he's, he's mortified. St. Peter is completely mortified. He, he thinks that it's not right that someone as holy as our Lord, who has just worked this miracle, should be in the presence of a man who does not have that sense of, of God's dominion over all things. Someone who's been so forgetful of God. We know that this episode was a turning point in the lives of, of St. Peter and the other apostles. Um, that's when they, they abandon their nets for good and, and follow our Lord Jesus Christ. Henceforth, our Lord tells them, you're going to be fishers of men. You're going to go out into the world and you're going to gather in human souls for the kingdom of God. And that's a lot more difficult than getting fish out of Lake Genezaret. But for the apostles to be successful in that new work, they're going to need above all, they're going to need above all to realize that everything depends upon God. They're going to have to remember that lesson of the miraculous cats of fishes that happened at the very beginning of their apostolic career. They're going to have to realize they can't just fish in any place and expect to draw in a, in a catch. That they can't expect to fish at any time and get some bites on, on their line. That really there are times set and there are places set by the providence of God that are the most appropriate for them to achieve success. And they're going to have to go to God to know when those times and where those places are. They're going to have to remember always that they depend upon God completely 
in the exercise of their priesthood. They depend upon God even more in the priesthood than they do as fishermen, because the priesthood is something supernatural, um, even above nature. It's not even possible in the realm of nature, whereas fishing is certainly possible in the realm of nature. And so the apostles will have to be looking for God's direction as to where they go and what they say throughout their lives. We think about some of the things that happened to St. Peter later on in his life, where, where God explicitly stepped in to St. Peter's life and, and redirected it and, and told him, no, Peter, this is, this is what you need to be doing. Um, this is where you need to be going. I think we all know the, the Colvadis episode of, of St. Peter at the end of his life where he's, he's leaving Rome and, and he sees our Lord walking the other way and, and our Lord says to him, where are you going, Peter? I'm sorry, St. Peter says to our Lord, where are you going? And um, our Lord says, I'm going to be crucified again. And St. Peter understands that, well, he needs to go back. St. Peter needs to go back to Rome and be crucified. But uh, more recently in, in his life, there was that time when, when St. Peter had a dream. He was just in the upper house of, of a room and praying, and he had this dream about all these unclean meats being presented to him to eat. Um, and he said, no, Lord, I'm not going to eat these unclean meats. Um, but the, the angel kept telling him to, to eat the unclean meats. And, and as soon as he woke up from the dream, there were some Gentiles at the door asking him to come to Joppa and preach the gospel. Um, and this was when St. Peter realized that, no, he, he has to go to this other place, and he has to preach to these strange people, these Gentiles, because it's the will of God. God specifically telling him where to go and what to say. Um, there was another occasion in, in the life of St. Paul that's recounted in the Acts of the Apostles when he was on a missionary journey. He was, he was in the town of Troas, and he was wondering what, what he would do next, and he had this vision, uh, another dream, of uh, a man from Macedonia who was just standing there. They must wear certain special clothing in Macedonia. Somehow he knew it was a man from Macedonia, um, and, and the, the man was saying, come over and help us. And he believed that this, this dream was from God. And that, that's what started St. Paul on his incredible missionary uh, journeys to, to Greece. That's where we get those, those great foundations of, of Christian communities in Ephesus, Thessalonica, and Corinth, and Philippi. You know, all those uh, letters that he wrote to those communities were founded because he had this dream. It was effectively God telling him where to go and, and who he was to preach to. So the apostles learned and understood that they depended on God in all that they did. And imagine how ridiculous it would be if they did not. I mean, if they, if they didn't learn this lesson. If, if they were going around the world um, preaching that people need God when they didn't believe that they needed God. They were not conscious of the fact that they needed God. They were just telling people that they needed God without really realizing that themselves. Um, and this is one of the reasons why, why missionary orders give their missionaries different assignments um, and they change their assignments. They want to make sure that the priests are not choosing where they live and what they do. Because if a priest were able to choose his assignment and, and choose his job, then he might begin to think those thoughts, those dangerous thoughts of self-reliance. Uh, where he's sort of pushing God out of, the, out of the way and thinking, no, you know, I think I've got this under control. Um, I've, I'm doing so well and with my own decisions. I don't even think I need God to bring people to God. I can bring people to God without God. You know, I can do it all 
by myself because of my talents, because of my particular prudence and skill. There's, there's many times um, in my 10 years here living in Australia, um, people would immediately notice that, that I speak with an American accent. Um, and, and, and the natural question that would, that would come, they would ask me is, so, so Father, uh, how long do you plan to stay in Australia? Um, and you know, there's just people I might meet on the street and, and I would try to explain, explain that, well, you know, it's not really my decision. We, we priests, we don't decide where we go and we don't decide how long we stay in a given place. And, and I would compare it to the military. It's kind of like the military. So I try to think of a, an image that they could understand. You know how it is in the military. Uh, everyone knows that the soldiers, the Air Force pilots, the Navy men, the Marines, they have to report to assignments that can be in many different locations. And, and when that image is used, they immediately understand, okay, yeah, I, I think I, I get what you're talking about. At the same time, we know that the purpose is different. The purpose of the priest being sent to many different places is different from the purpose of why soldiers are sent to many different places. In the case of the military, um, they want the soldiers to live at military bases and, and not with civilians. But this is not the, the reason why, why priests are sent around the world, as, as I say. Uh, the reason why we're sent around the world is that we're trying to catch men for God. And we're doing God's work. One of the most important things for us to understand is precisely that, that it is God's work. It's not our work. It's not, it's not a structure that, that I'm building or, or some other priest is building by our own resources, by our own need of resources and our own talents or whatever it may be. It is the work of God alone. And not knowing how long you will be in one place, not choosing where you live your life, not choosing what you do. All these things help a priest understand that his whole vocation is subject to God. It's under the providence of God. It's not under his own lights. And it's true that this can sometimes cause practical difficulties. A priest might be in the middle of building a church. And all of a sudden he's, he's reassigned he's in, in some other new priest is going to come in, or, or sometimes you have a situation where you have one priest for, for a while and he does things a certain way, and the next priest comes in and he does things totally different, and it, it causes a, a bit of a kerfuffle there in the, in the parish. But these little practical difficulties in the mind of the church are worth it. They're definitely worth it because of the spiritual benefits that the priest and the faithful receive from the fact that the, the priest has no lasting home. The priest himself is deeply aware that he could be switched at any time. If the life of the priest really is about bringing souls to Christ, then it must involve a leaving of one's fishing business and following Christ wherever Christ may be calling, as, as the apostles did. And in this way as well, the priest can become a living symbol of the providence of God just by his, his way of life. He can teach the faithful that everything in this life depends upon God, not just for the priest, but for you as well. I mean, you can choose where you want to live and what, what sort of house you're going to live in, um, what town you're going to live in, and, and all of that. But your life is, is just as much dependent upon God as, as the priest's life is. It's just more apparent to the priest because he, he has to go where he's told to go. 
Um, for every single one of us, this life is passing. We have no resting place here below. Everything passes in this life. You can't stay in any one place forever. Even the best and the most stable things around will eventually pass away. If you want to live for something stable, you've got to live for heaven. That's the only thing that lasts forever. Those who have been here in Albury for, for donkey's years have seen many, many priests stand up in this pulpit and, and give a sermon. Um, the Mass stays the same. Our Lord's always the same. But the priest standing up here is often very different. You think about how many society priests you've known, um, for, the, for those who have been here a long time, Five priests, ten priests, twenty priests. The other night I was, was going over with, with Steinle. We were just trying to go over to remember all the priests. There's probably at least twenty different priests, you know, who have been here, passed through, at least passed through here in Albury. So some of you remember Father Peak or Father Bermo, Father Ortiz and Father Grun, who, who were here when I arrived. Um, and now those times seem so far away. But the, the common thread is our Lord Jesus Christ, the Mass, and the Catholic faith. Those things do not go away. Um, it's not the purpose of the life of the priest to choose the best situation for, for himself. It's simply to answer that call of Christ, follow me. And only in that way will he be able to bring your souls to God. If he, if he really is deeply conscious of the fact that everything that he does depends upon the providence of God. It is God's work, not his own work. Um, and this is really, I think, what, what I and every other priest wishes um, most for you through our efforts. What, the, the main thing we want to happen through our own ministrations is that you live with the ever greater dependence upon God, that you realize deep, more deeply how much your life depends upon God. And you actually exercise that in your life. That over time, um, you live a life to where you're uh, living in a greater and greater union with God over time. So our practice of religion is nothing without that. It's just a charade. It's, it's a facade. There's no real religion without that dependence upon God. And it's only in God that we as human beings can be united here below. There's, there's no lasting union, whether between uh, a man and a wife, or between the priest and his faithful, between the parents and their children. There is no lasting union in this life unless it is rooted in God. And, and this is the ultimate reward that, that a priest is able to have if, if he's successful in truly doing God's work in this life is that after it's all said and done, and after the judgment day, there is a great reunion in heaven where, where all of us are gathered together and we live together forever in the presence of God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.